us pray. Dear Lord God, we love you, praise you. Thank you for a chance to be together oh, today as family and to be together as well on Facebook Live. We just counted a joy. We counted a privilege, Lord. Thank you that you turn our graves into gardens. Lord, thank you that you turn ashes into beauty. And Lord, so many times we, we could just get down and we could get depressed and we can let the things of this world drag us down. But Lord, we thank you that love and joy and hope is found in you. And that even when we've had a period of mourning, that you can turn that into dancing. And we're so thankful for that. So Lord, I pray now that you please speak to our hearts through the power of your holy word, dear God. Lord, I pray that we'd walk away changed because we have met with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? That's good. Have a seat. Everybody's already said it. Okay. <laughs> Into why you're dismissed. Never too young. The incredible children's ministry. They've got some great stuff in store today. Let me tell you. Some of you guys might want to go back there instead of here. I'm just telling. Woo! I hope you guys had an incredible, fantastic, wonderful, super awesome week. Um, last week, check it out. We started uh, a series. Actually, we continued a series called what? Oh, I gave you the cheat sheet. Look at that. Fixer Upper, right? And it was out of the books of the Bible, Ezra, and now today, Nehemiah. And this series is really all about being rooted and rebuilt in the Lord so that we can be all that God wants us to be. Because let me tell you, he wants to do something amazing and miraculous in your life. But we have to trust in him. And not our will, but his will be done, right? And so... As you can see today, we've got a little bit of a construction zone going on. You see that? Our uh, deco team has done a fantastic job of creating some construction sites here. And it looks a little bit like the set of Chip and Joanna Gaines. Uh, we got our own fixer-upper TV show going on right here, okay? Except this one is all about heart renovation. This one is all about seeing what God wants to do in our lives to be built up spiritually, right? Last week with our heart renovation, we looked at what it really meant to truly refocus, okay? To really refocus our lives spiritually. And I mentioned some key points. Number one, we got to follow God's lead. God's lead. Too many times we want to be in charge, right? We want control. We want to be the ones that are taking things over. But we got to realize, wait a second here. We got to follow God's lead. What's God saying? Where is he leading us? And then number two, let's fulfill God's will above our own. It says in the book of Romans that not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will for your life. And a lot of times people are always like, oh, I don't know what God's will is. I don't know what it is. Well, you know what? That's because we're conforming too much to the pattern of this world. We've got to renew our mind in God's word, then he will be able to help you see what his will is, right? And his will is the best for you. And then number three, hey, we got to focus our hearts fully on God, right? Focus our hearts fully on him. Not just giving part of our hearts, giving all of our lives, all that we are to him. And then it led to our life lesson last week, which was, Let's get ready to love. It was Valentine's Day, and all kind of worked together. Let's get ready to really, truly love. Not just on Valentine's Day, but throughout the year. How are we loving 
other people. We know it's the greatest commandment, right? We know that we are to love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We know that. But to put it in to action. Put it in to action. This week we are diving. Anybody like to dive? Come on now. Any, any divers here? I know we got some divers. Come on. Diving. You know, we're diving into the book, though, of Nehemiah. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah, that would be great, or your smartphones, tablets, whatever you got. Turn in there because we're going to be hitting it, uh, the entire book today. No, we're going to hit the first couple of chapters a little bit today. And we're going to see, first of all, some history that it was most likely written in approximately 446 B.C., so just a few years ago. And we also see that Nehemiah was a high official and the personal cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes, okay? Personal cupbearer to the, to the cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. Say that fast 10 times. <laughs> but here's the deal. A cupbearer, a lot of times people don't know what a cupbearer is. I didn't know what a cupbearer was for the longest time. Well, check this out. A cupbearer basically was such a trusted individual because the cupbearer was the person that was placing the cups in front of the king and actually had to pour like the wine or whatever beverages were there. And you might think, wait a second, that's like kind of being a waiter. Why is that such a big deal? Well, here's the thing we have to understand is that many a times kings and queens, they were getting poisoned. Uh, this was happening left and right, especially in that particular culture. And so the king wanted to make sure there was one man and one man only that was going to be kind of making certain that his drink was going to be totally fine. And there was going to be no poison or anything like that. So when we look at that, we know that Nehemiah, obviously then, was very, very trusted by King Artaxerxes. Now, about 12 years prior to Nehemiah, Ezra had laid the spiritual groundwork of rebuilding the temple and instituting the sacrificial system, right? However, the city still stood open to lots of attacks. And after hearing the shape of the city of Jerusalem, Nehemiah wanted to receive permission to go to it and was even appointed governor of the surrounding province with the authority to rebuild the city walls. And in so many aspects, Nehemiah's life was such an example of leadership, right? Of organization. It was an example to all of us. Giving up a comfortable, a wealthy position in Persia. He returned to the fractured homeland of his ancestors and rallied the people. Rallied the people to rebuild Jerusalem's walls. And in the face of numerous opposition, he used wise defense measures to care to really, truly care for the Jewish people. And then to keep the project moving forward, right? To keep it moving forward. Now, the key in all of this really was Nehemiah's ability to respond, okay? He was definitely a responsive type of person. That's kind of the title of this message is a responsive people because that's what God wants us to be is to be responsive, right? To be that type of person. And to understand that we need to have genuine care and, com and comfort for people. His very name meant Jehovah Comforts. That's the type of man that Nehemiah was. He was a comforter. And so when he saw that there was this huge need, he knew that he knew he better respond with action. 
And he better lead with love in his heart, right? And that's my question for all of us here this morning as we get started, is how do we respond when we see a need arise in front of us? Tons of needs, right? All around we can see hundreds of needs arising. Do we just kind of sit back and chill, relax? Somebody else will take care of it? Maybe we decide we're going to spring into action, though. Maybe we decide we're going to spring into action with care. We're going to spring into action with comfort. Are we a responsive people or are we just a passive people? Are we a passive people? This week I especially saw amazing responsiveness take place from my wife, Amy. She has no idea I'm going to tell this, but I am. (laughs) Um, My son Silas and I, we were playing this game called Paper Football. Anybody played it? It's so fun. It's crazy, but it's fun. I mean, it's, so we're playing it and having a good time. I'm winning. I don't want to lose. Um, but the clock's ticking down. We got the timer on. And right before the clock's ready to go off, boom, he scores. And he starts going crazy. Okay. He's just got a little bit of energy, okay? And he starts jumping up and down. He's hitting his chest like all the NFL guys do. You know, he thinks he's NFL. And he starts running around, and he kind of slips, and he means to hit the door. And instead, he hits the glass next to the door, okay? And blood just starts gushing, gushing. My wife springs into action, Nurse Amy. She comes and she grabs the towel. She's like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. She puts the towel, pressure so much that Silas's hand turns blue practically. But, and then we get him into the van, okay? Get him into the van, and I'm driving Mach 12, I'm telling you what, 80-something miles an hour to get to the emergency room. And when we finally get to the emergency room, whew, the nurse practitioner says it's a good thing that you got him here quickly because he had severed a tendon. He had severed a tendon and luckily still has movement in his fingers. Um, but he required seven stitches, seven stitches. And so it's one of those deals, and a lot of you, especially that have had boys, can probably relate, <laughs> and maybe girls too, can relate to some of these types of injuries. But after it was all said and done, and I finally began to calm down, because you can just imagine me, I'm like, wow, you know, I finally began to calm down. I realized how incredible my wife truly was on how she responded to the situation. She sprung into action with care and with comfort using her nursing skills, and I sprung into action using my incredibly fast driving skills, okay? <laughs> but um, we both sprung into action praying fervently, though. And that was the one thing as we're driving, and Silas is like, am I going to die? Am I going to die? Like, you're not going to die, but we're going to pray, okay? So we just prayed the whole way there, and we felt God's presence with us, even in the midst of kind of a, a difficult situation. And, and you know what? We all have different kinds of situations that come up all the time where we have to decide, how are we going to respond, Right? How are we going to respond? Are we going to respond with passivity and just sit back and do nothing? Are we going to get angry with a person or a situation? It grieves my heart to see how much anger has permeated our culture over the last, especially since about June. (laughs) 
grieves my soul because I think there's so much anger that everybody's on edge and you just look at somebody the wrong way and they just go, you know, it's like, wait a second here. I'm going to respond with that kind of venom and anger? Or maybe we're going to feel sorry for ourselves. Woe is me. You know, everything's just horrible and awful and we're going to just feel sorry for ourselves. Or we're going to be like Nehemiah. Or we're going to pray and we're going to do something productive about the problem at hand. He saw the problem, he started praying, and he did something productive about it. And we're going to ask God to show us what really needs done, and then do it. Do it with love. Do it with joy that only God can provide. That's the example, the great example of Nehemiah, who was truly a man of prayer and action. Not just prayer, not just action, but prayer and action together. Turn your Bibles to Nehemiah 1. We're going to give you a little cheat sheet, too. This is Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hen and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are the farthest at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And then it goes on, Give your servant success today. By granting him favor in the presence of this man, I was cupbearer to the king. Yeah. You see, the first thing that Nehemiah did in this passage, first thing to write down in your study sheets was perceive. He perceived. He had a call to perceive what the problem was by really listening to Hanai, right, who was his brother. Now, any of you that have brothers, maybe you don't always do a good job of listening to your brother. (laughs) But in this case, Nehemiah, he listens to his brother and he listens to the other men. And what Nehemiah perceived was that the people were really, truly lacking leadership more than anything. They were a disorganized group and the city was defenseless with no walls to protect it. However, before the, the exile... Israel had its, what, its own language, king, army, and identity. But at this time, they had none of it, none of it. They were lacking someone to truly lead them, right, to lead them. In essence, what they needed 
with someone to fill in the gap, right? Fill in the gap. And from generation to generation, we all need people to be gap fillers or people who want to be on mission for God. Pastor Brian and I talk about that a lot, being on mission for God, that it's not just missionaries, but it's all of us being on mission for God. But in fact, in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, 30, Ezekiel the prophet says on behalf of God, I looked for anyone to repair the wall and stand in the gap for me on behalf of the land so I wouldn't have to destroy it, but I couldn't find anyone. Wow. However, Nehemiah, 130 years later, became that gap filler. Only after the walls had been destroyed. He was the gap filler. And it also makes me think, in a lot of ways, back to um, one of my special memories ever. And I've shared this a little bit with some of you guys about attending the Promise Keepers event in Washington, D.C. back in 1997 called Stand in the Gap. And here's a picture of it right here. And I am on about the third jumbotron right there. And actually, Pastor Bob, our founding pastor, that turkey, he was actually in the front. I don't know, he must have got there at four in the morning or something. But he was towards the front with a different church, and I was with a different church at that time. But it was, it was the most amazing thing in 1997 to go and be a part of that. And anybody that knows me knows, my wife loves this about me, that I keep sentimental spiritual things. So here is the shirt. Look how white it is. It's a little yellow, but it's from 1997 AD. Okay, so here you go. And stand in the gap. And I still wear it sometimes, you know, when I mow or whatever. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a great shirt. It hasn't even shrunk, you know. But it's a good memory, spiritual memory for me. And uh, I tell you what, a million men right there. And you know what we were doing? We spent all Saturday. It was an all-day Saturday thing. And we spent the whole time just praising God, singing songs to God to hear a million men with all these voices like this, singing praises to God and getting down on our knees. And we even got totally, totally prostrate on the ground. I don't even know how we did it, but we did. And, and then hearing incredible speakers like Tony Evans and people like that. It was just something that still, all these years later, just registers in my heart and in my mind. Really, truly does. See, we were all challenged as men to stand in the gap for our generation. I was 27 years old at that time. To stand, I was just a young, young lad. You know, but to stand up for our generation and to seriously pray for our generation. In fact, when we are praying on behalf of someone else, what we are actually doing is standing in the gap before that person and God. You realize that? Plus, we are also engaging in spiritual warfare, where if Jesus is truly, truly your personal Savior, then through his blood, the enemy has been defeated. Right? And as God's heir, you have claim to God's promises and God's power. Isn't that a great standing in the gap? 24 years later, we need more men and women, right, to stand in the gap from all generations to start standing in the gap. We can't sit idly by and watch our nation fall further and further into this abyss of sin and selfishness. Instead, we should learn 
from this whole pandemic and be more willing than ever to respond to God, to be a responsive people to God and surrender ourselves fully to his will. Then when we do that, you guys, we're going to see a true revival begin to take place. People always say, oh, man, if we could just see revival occur in this country, wouldn't that be great? It would be. But you know where it starts? Right here. Individually. As it starts with us getting more real with God than ever before. And then all of us as a church. And then all of us as a community. Wouldn't it be something if the next great spiritual awakening points back to Norwalk, Ohio? Ooh, Nelly. You know, you hear about some of those. I've read books called Fire Seeds of a Spiritual Awakening. I've read lots of different books that talks about the great awakenings that have occurred. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had a great awakening that started happening right here? And it starts with us, doesn't it? It starts with us, where we get serious about God, where we truly surrender to him. That's the example that Nehemiah was. He cared deeply for his people, and he knew he needed to stand in the gap for them. And that is why when he heard that the walls of the city had not been built, he first of all, what did he do? He sat down and what did he do? He wept, right? He wept and he continued mourning and fasting for some days and then eventually praying. Sometimes people say, ah, real men, they don't, they don't cry, they don't, they don't weep. That's a bunch of balogna. I tell you what, that's not even true. You need to sometimes weep over things, especially of this magnitude. you got to weep over that. Because this is some serious issues that were taking place. So he weeped and he mourned for days. And then eventually he was starting to pray. And then eventually the action came. And when you think about this, and the fact that he was mourning over the walls of the city not being built. You might be thinking, why such an emotional response? However, we have to understand that not having walls for a city back in 446 B.C. was like not having electrical power or a police force today. The walls, they offered safety from raids that would be coming against him. They symbolize strength and, and peace as well. So the walls, they were, a, they were a big deal, you guys. These walls were super important. And so Nehemiah's reaction was heartfelt. And it was, the, it was the burden of his heart. And he understood that you never lift the burden of someone else until you first of all feel the burden of that weight on your own heart. And then God begins to stir, and then God begins to move in your heart to do something about that burden. Isn't that great? We have to feel that empathy, that burden for someone else. That movement started with Nehemiah with the response then of prayer, with the response of prayer. That's the second point today is that when we're presented with a problem, not only are we called to perceive, but we're called 
to prayer, right? A call to prayer. That's what Nehemiah did. And what a model of prayer he gave us. He starts out, like we just read, in complete adoration of God by calling him Lord and how great and how awesome God is and how he keeps his covenant of love with those who demonstrate their love by keeping his commandments. That's how we demonstrate that we love him, by keeping his commandments. This is what we should do as well. Keep his commandments, and we should start our prayers off by expressing to God how awesome he truly is, how incredible are his works, and that it is only because of him that we even have life, that we, only, that we have breath. It's only because of him. And that prayer can really truly be prayed through amazing songs too, right? The prayers are not just, okay, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. You know, that's a part of it. But sometimes prayers can be kind of sung to the Lord. That's what's so cool about certain songs. How great is our God, sing with me. And then you have awesome God, Rich Mullins came out way back in the day. Awesome God, or how great thou art, a great hymn. A lot of times we don't think of hymns today, but I tell you what, there's a lot of amazing hymns of singing about the greatness of God, how awesome God truly is. Those are prayers of adoration to him. And then Nehemiah calls out to God for him to please be attentive to the prayers being prayed day and night for the people of Israel. And this shows the tremendous passion that Nehemiah had for prayer, right? It isn't just a short little one-time prayer, but it's a day and night prayer. I don't know about you, but I've only done a, a few all nights of prayer. Anybody done an all night of prayer? Anybody? Come on. Copy somebody. <laughs> They're hard. I've done a few of them over the years, especially preparing. Like I'll never forget one. Back in uh, 95, we were getting ready to go to the Ukraine to share the gospel in the Ukraine. And that was shortly after the fall of the Soviet Union. We are going to smuggle Bibles in there. And it was, oh, it was intense. So we had an all-night of prayer leading up to that. Okay, Usually what would happen a lot of times with my all-nights of prayer is about 3, 4 in the morning, the prayers would kind of turn into Yiddish or Pig Latin or some kind of Babylese. <laughs> you weren't sure what you were praying after a while. And the eyes are closing and you're waking back up. But uh, it was definitely a good discipline to be able to do, though. It was definitely something that you felt, even though you're tired afterwards, you felt connected to God in such a great way, in such a great way. And there was a, a friend of mine that I had in college, I'll never forget. He, he was the ultimate prayer warrior. His name was Travis. And uh, I still could see his face right now in my mind. And he repeatedly, every time that he had a big, big-time decision to make, he would go into our study lounge that we had on our dorm floor. He'd go in about 11 o'clock. And then as we're all waking up about 7 in the morning, he'd come out. And he had this giant smile on his face. And I'd say, Travis? He'd say, Jeff? And I'd say, how you doing? He goes, I got an answer. I got an answer. And I was like, wow. And there were a few times he said, I didn't get an answer. I'm going right back in. <laughs> he just skipped his class, I think. I don't know. But he went right back in. But it was amazing because he was such a prayer warrior. And that stimulated me 
to want to pray all the more. To see a young man like this have a desire and a passion for prayer. What a prayer warrior. And that's exactly the way Nehemiah was. His model of prayer not only included adoration, but check it out. It also included confession, right? He confessed to God his sin and the Israelites' sin. And he didn't sugarcoat it. We live in a world today, we sugarcoat sin so bad, we rationalize, we justify, we make excuses, we think kids are bad, we're worse. We know how to rationalize with the best of them, especially the older we get. But not Nehemiah. He didn't do that, right? He called it for what it was. He called it wickedness. He said it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. There was nothing to rationalize or justify. It was obe disobedience to God, plain and simple. And because of it, the Israelites had been in exile. And Jerusalem was not protected. There's consequences to our sin. We think we're getting away with stuff. We're not getting away with anything. You might think you're getting away. There's consequences that are either happening now or coming down the pike. What an example Nehemiah was for us. When we sin, we have to call it for what it is. It's sin. It is disobedience to God. And it grieves. It grieves God's heart. And it hurts ourselves. And it hurts others around us. And as a result, we cannot, we should not dwell in it. It's like living in a mud hole. It's like that we're just living in this, this mud hole. We can't get out. We're just wallowing around in it. God says, stop it. Stop it. It always needs to be confessed and repented of as soon as it happens. If not, if we don't, then the consequences will linger sometimes on and on. But if the sin is repented of, really, truly repented, where you're going one direction and you do a 180 and you go the opposite direction, real, true repentance, I tell you what, woo, that's when a brand new start can happen, right? That's where it's a fresh spring that begins to occur. That's what we have to realize. That's exactly what Nehemiah prays for. Nehemiah reminds then God of his promises that he had made for his people. And he asked for a second chance and for success to occur by finding favor and approaching King Artaxerxes with the hope of going to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. So then Nehemiah not only prayed a prayer of adoration and confession, but then, check it out, a prayer of supplication. Those were the requests where he asked God for success, for favor. You might think, well, I, I shouldn't ask God for success. I shouldn't ask God to put a favor on me. Why not? Nehemiah did. Why not? Nothing wrong with asking God for success. However, we need to understand more of the biblical definition of success rather than this worldly definition. Worldly success is all about what? Money, power, prestige, possessions. Biblical success always around always revolves around glorifying the Lord, right? And then growing in Him and seeing people come to know Him. It's all about bringing maximum glory to Him. The great prophet Jeremiah stated in Jeremiah 29, 11, I write this a lot in uh, graduates' cards, high school, college graduates, because it's so true. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Isn't that great? That's success. I pray so many prayers of success for high school, college graduates. Not worldly success, but success in God's eyes. The prosperity is one of joy. The prosperity is one of contentment in the Lord. So then Nehemiah, he was praying for success and also for favor with the king, even though the king wasn't a believer. And it's extraordinary to think, like I said last week, that God can even work on the heart of an unbelieving king in order to fulfill his plan. Isn't that amazing? God can and will answer any kind of prayer. Any kind. Even the one deemed impossible in man's eyes, but always still possible in God's eyes. That leads to our third action point today. Our third one is a call to proceed. It's a call to proceed. You see, because of Nehemiah's prayer, the king's heart begins to soften. I love it when I see people's hearts soften, right? You ever seen that in front of you? I remember, as I've done tons of evangelism over the last, I don't know how many years, I love going up to the biggest, baddest folks. I've done it in New York City. I've done it in other countries. I love going up to them. And just through the power of the Holy Spirit, you start to share the gospel with some guys that are six foot 12, 372 pounds of rock solid. And they've done all kinds of stuff, drug deals, you name it. They've done it all. And to see them turn into a little boy right in front of your heart. Oh, man. That's the softening of a heart that only God can do. God can do that with people through the power of his Holy Spirit. Because of Nehemiah's prayer, the king's heart softens in chapter 2, verse 4. When the king asked Nehemiah what he wants, and Nehemiah wasn't afraid to ask boldly, and even said a prayer before he asked, he stepped up and he approached the intimidating, powerful king. And what another lesson for us, to not be afraid to approach people, even if we think the request is just too large. You never know how God may be working on the person's heart to grant your request. For God always has the capacity to move in anyone's heart, even someone that you may least expect, like a non-believing king. Even somebody like a non-believing king. Therefore, we can't buy the lies of the enemy. Stop buying the lies. The lies of the enemy, such as, I can't do anything about this problem. They're just too big. I'm not qualified. It's not my gifting. It's not my calling. What impact can I make? I'm one person. Instead, remember the truth about your identity with Christ. Respond. Respond with conviction. Start working with what you have at hand. Start sharing what God has done for you. And then love people as they have never been loved before. Never been loved with so many people. Never experienced genuine love. Maybe some of us here today, God's love, supernatural, unconditional, and we can love people with his love. Isn't that awesome? And the miracle of miracles happens when we proceed with this is that God will empower you with passion and lives will be forever changed. That's exactly what I saw for many years with a Christian singer named Carmen. Maybe you've heard of Carmen. Um, sadly, he just died this past week. He's in heaven right now. 
He was a man full of passion for Jesus Christ. He saw thousands upon thousands all over the world come to know Jesus through his music and his message. In fact, one of his songs called The Champion, we turned into a human video, a drama, and we used it to help communicate the gospel visually all over the world. Actually, on six different continents we went to, sharing the gospel and utilizing this particular song. If you've never heard it, I encourage you to check it out. It's called The Champion, and it's basically about an eight-minute song that talks about from the creation of the world until Jesus wins the final victory. But you see, Carmen, the extraordinary impact of one man, one man's music for the gospel of Christ. Isn't that awesome? He didn't say, well, I'm only one person. No. He said, I want to be sold out for Jesus. And look how God used him to impact so many people for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that was definitely so true of Nehemiah. As he proceeded with God's work, after his request to the king was granted, you see in verses 13 to 15 in chapter 2, he went to where the work was. He examined all that needed done. And then in verses 17 18, check it, he went to the people. He went to them to help with the work. He knew he needed some help with this. He told them about God's favor upon him and what the king had said to him. And the people responded to Nehemiah by stating what? Verse 18, check it out. Let us start the rebuilding. Gentlemen, start your engines. Here we go. Let us get going. Let us start the rebuilding. And so then they all started the work. Isn't that great? Then they all got busy about proceeding with the work. After all, there was a lot to be done to help build the walls, protect the city, right? Likewise, there is a lot of work that needs to be done today, right? A lot of work for God's kingdom. And he's looking for people to stand in the gap by heeding the call to perceive, right? Perceive what is the problem. And then the call to prayer. And then the call to proceed with his work. Not our own agendas, God's agenda. Proceed with his work. And the final question is, are you the one? God's looking for one person that will really, truly be all out a fully devoted follower to Jesus Christ and be able to put these things into practice. And that leads to our life lesson today, which is let's get ready to lead, right? Last week was let's get ready to love. This week, let's get ready to lead. Let's lead like Nehemiah led. And the only way that we can lead is as the Holy Spirit is leading us. So ask God. You can lead in your workplace. You can lead in the community. You can lead in different aspects. We always need lots of different people involved here at the church. You can lead in a variety of ways. Ask the Lord. Don't think that you don't have anything to offer. You have a ton to offer. Each one of you has amazing gifts, talents, abilities that God's blessed you with. Let's use them, right? Let's use them for God's glory. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we love you so much. We thank you for this awesome day today. Thank you for these wonderful people here today. Thank you for a chance to be in your presence. 
Lord, thank you that we can sense your presence with us today. Lord, help us to stand in the gap for you, dear God. And I pray that we would truly see the importance of a call to perceive, a call to, to prayer, and a call to proceed in your work, dear God. That's our, that's our heart's cry, that we want to be those types of men and women that are sold out for you. Lord, that's, our, that's what we, our desire is. So, Lord, please continue to fix within each one of our hearts. Do a fixer-upper in our lives. Do a heart renovation so we can continue to be changed by you and molded into your character. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So great being with each and every one of you guys. Uh, don't forget, next Saturday is the men's conference. So if you haven't signed up and you're a man, you can go ahead and <laughs> sign up. We'd love to have you as a part of it. Out of our seats and into the world. God bless you guys. Love you.